Good morning. I've been gone the last couple weeks, so it's been really wonderful uh, to be with you this morning again, to be back home. And so um, I have the privilege of bringing the message this morning. Hey, do you know the comedian Bill Ingvall? Yeah, okay. And he has this routine that's called, here's your sign, right? Yeah, I didn't do the inflection right, but he's the comedian, so not me. Um, so this, that routine is really all about people who ask um, stupid questions to each other. And the funny part of the routine is the, um, the ridiculous comebacks that he comes up with. I'd like to give you a little taste of it this morning. We hope it works. He's working. I can't see if that's a up thumbs or a down thumbs. It's a down thumbs. All right. So here's that. He's like, okay, whatever. Um, so here's the joke. So, um, Nope, that's not Gideon. That's not the one I want. But that's okay. I'll tell you the joke of the, the here's your sign. So um, he was um, having his house painted. And the painters were in during the remodeling. And they were starting to cover all the furniture so they wouldn't get any paint on it. And one of the painters came up to him and said, Hey, is that your piano? And the guy goes, No. It's our coffee table. It just has buck teeth. Here's your sign. Okay, so there's these funny things that he does. It's like, here's your sign. That's a ridiculous question. He's in the guy's home. Of course, it's his piano. I think sometimes God thinks that way about us, don't you? I think sometimes God wants to say to us, as we ask those stupid questions, Here's your sign. Yep. Today, we're going to be looking at Gideon. And Gideon is one of those people uh, about that has asked a lot of silly, dumb questions. He's one of those people that I think God kind of rolls his eyes at um, when he's always asking. And I think he's one of those people that God wants to say, Here's your sign. Let's watch the story of Gideon, maybe. Nope. Yeah, you know, I heard one week you didn't have lights. Now we don't have video. I came prepared for the light thing. I got a headband with a little light on it sitting in my pew. But uh, today we don't have video. All right. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to read the very first part of Gideon. If you want to turn with me into the scriptures, it's uh, at Judges chapter 6. Judges in the Old Testament chapter 6. I'll begin, begin reading um, at the first verse. Thanks, guys. Don't worry about it. People of God, here is the word of the Lord. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of the Midianites was so oppressive, 
The Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain cliffs and caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites and Amalekites, oh my gosh, Amalekites said, and the other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the ground and they ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian was so impoverished, the Israelites, that they cried out to the Lord for help. This is the word of God. All right, so what we have just read, uh, many theologians call this cycle of sin. In the book of Judges, there's this cycle that keeps happening over and over that Israel is kind of stuck in. The cycle goes like this. Israel is serving the Lord and they're doing well and then Israel falls to sin. Usually that sin was that they were uh, worshiping other gods. Then Israel and God decides that he's going to discipline them to bring them back to himself. And how God does that is usually another country comes and invades and enslaves Israel, and they become oppressed. Well, it becomes so bad for Israel that they then again turn to God and start to cry out to him for help. And God, in his mercy, will raise what we call a judge or a prophet at this time to help bring Israel back and to push away the oppression. And Israel is delivered. Israel then again is at peace and serves the Lord for a little while. And they start that cycle all over again. So in Judges, we see these stories. We see the story of Ehu and Deborah and Gideon and Samson. And these are the men and women of God that he uses to restore and to deliver Israel back to himself. And of course, today we're looking at Gideon. So in the short passage we just read, you can see that cycle of sin. Israel sinning, Israel finding themselves in oppression again, part of God's discipline, and then they crying out to God for help. And of course, in God's faithfulness, he delivers. Now, I want to stop here just for a moment and talk a little bit about discipline. Ouch. That is a hard word for us, isn't it? In our society, it's almost a bad word, discipline. I mean, parents can't discipline their children. 
Instead of disciplining, we're supposed to distract them or turn their attention to something else. We're not supposed to discipline them. And in turn, the children are not learning right from wrong. Employers can't even discipline their employees for doing things that are wrong without being, without that, that um, heaviness of being possibly sued hanging over their head. Discipline has become a bad word for us and, and in our society. But here's the thing. We as people need to experience discipline. We need to experience the consequences when we do things wrong. Why? That's how we learn. That's how we learn right from wrong. If my child was running out into the street with fear of being hit by a car, and I just try to distract them or change their point of view, they're not going to learn that running out in the road is a bad thing. You need to discipline them. Now, I'm not saying that we should, you know, beat our children or anything like that, so don't send me any emails, okay? <laughs> but I do believe that we should be disciplining our children I believe that we should be helping to teach them right from wrong. And so this is what God uses discipline for as well. Now, my mom and dad, when I was a little kid, always tried to convince me that they disciplined me because they loved me. Ha! Yeah. Okay, the one time they had to do it in their life to me. It sure didn't feel like love, did it to you? No. no. Discipline does not feel like love. But it's the truth. It is the truth. It is the truth. God uses discipline as a form of loving us as well. Now, if God didn't love Israel... He wouldn't care what they did. He wouldn't care that they walked away. He wouldn't care that they uh, were not in relationship with him. But in his love for Israel, he sends the discipline so that then they are in the midst of the consequences of their sin so that they will return to him, call out to him, and be restored to him. God uses discipline as a tool of his love for them. He uses discipline as a tool for love for us. You see... God believes that when we taste the circumstances of our sin and he allows us to live in that circumstances of our sin, that he is teaching us to hate the sin. Have you ever been in a situation 
that you knew you probably did wrong, had to live in the midst of the consequences of that, and you say to yourself, I'm never doing that again. You have learned right from wrong. You have come back to the Lord. God's discipline, God believes in seeing, he, he let me see, God values long-term gains as more important than short-term gains. And so he disciplines us in a short term so that long-term we will be his children and have eternal life. Amen. Okay, let me give you an example of that. Chemotherapy. No one likes to hear it. No one likes to experience it. But physicians and doctors are willing to prescribe a short-term suffering because chemotherapy is nothing but suffering because our bodies hate it for the long-term gain of health and life. God does the same for us. He says, I'm going to discipline you in the short term so that the long term you will have righteousness and eternal life. We need to change our thought process from enduring discipline to accepting discipline and learning from discipline. See, God uses discipline for our long-term goal of righteousness and eternal life. The thing is, we're supposed to learn from it. And much like Israel, we don't do that very well. Israel went through it over and over, and that cycle kept going and going and going. All right, back to the scriptures. If you're still with me, I want to begin reading at verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abysmite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Mennonites, from the Minionites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But, sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hands of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? But Lord Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, 
I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. All right. So we see our hero, Gideon, in this story, and he's in a wine press threshing wheat. Now, a wine press, this is a picture of one. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, is usually located in a secluded area um, so where the wind can't really blow through and blow things into the wine. And the wine press, you see, is up on top, and they stomp the grapes, um, and it is a little bit bowl-shaped in the middle, so when they stomp the grapes, the juice flows down into that center hole, see it at the top? And then it comes down into the cauldron where they collect the juice. It's always on rocky ground um, so that um, they can collect the juice without much dirt in it. But Gideon is not using the wine press for what it was made for. He's threshing wheat. Now, a threshing floor is usually located in a wide open area where the wind can blow through. So when they throw the grain up in the air, the shaft is caught by the wind and is blown away, and the wheat, the heavier things, drop down to the ground, the grain. So we find Gideon working in a place he's really not supposed to be. Gideon is hiding his work of threshing at the wine press. And Gideon is hiding his work so that the Midians can't get to it. Now we can draw a few conclusions about our hero from this particular passage. He's afraid as he is hiding his work. We know that. The passage mentions that he is one of the weaker tribes, one of the weaker families. In fact, he's one of the weaker members of the weaker tribe. He's not up there on the totem pole or whatever you want to. Yeah, you got it? Okay. What, we Bill? He's not on the social ladder. He's, he's on the lower rung of the social ladder. Um, and we can also draw that he doesn't have much faith in the God of Israel. We know that he knows about the God of Israel. And if we read on in the story, uh, which I hope that you do this afternoon, because the video would have given you a bit more context than I can give you um, in my 20-minute sermon. Um, anyways, they, um, Gideon, let's see, where was I? I just lost my place. I just went blank. Don't you hate that? Okay, he knows about the God of Israel. And he knows about the stories of Israel, but if you read on in the scripture, he, he and his family are not worshiping the God of Israel. They're worshiping another God. And the last thing we can conclude about our hero is this. He asks a lot of questions. 
Yeah, he asked, but Lord, how will this take place? He asked, but if you are God you, and you say that you are with us, why is this happening? Ever ask that of God in your life? Okay, God, if you're there, if you're working, why am I going through this? Then he pushes God even one more time, and he says, if you read on in the story, he, re he says, if this is true, if you're here, if you're going to help me to lead Israel out of oppression, then send me a sign. Can you relate? Have you ever asked God for a sign? For confirmation? If you read on in the scriptures, which I hope that you do, the fact is, is that Gideon sees more than just one sign or one miracle of the fleece, of the turning over the fleece. Actually, if we read on in the scriptures, we would see that Gideon sees a meat offering that he offers to this angel of the Lord consumed in fire, just like that. He sees the disappearance of the angel right before his eyes, just like that. And then comes the miracle of the fleece. Now, for those of you who may not know the, uh, the story of Gideon, he asks God, remember they're in a dry place, and he says, I'm going to lay out this fleece, and in the morning, if the fleece is wet and the ground is dry, I will know that you are God. So God says, okay. And again, the God comes through. The fleece is wet and the ground is dry. But Gideon is still not satisfied. And he says this. He says, all right, God, I'm going to ask you one more time for another sign. I'm going to ask you to make the ground wet and the fleece dry. And God says, okay. And he comes through. And he says to Gideon, here's your sign. Right? Gideon is still not getting it. So God sends one more sign. So Gideon kind of sneaks up to the Midianite camp. And he hears one of the soldiers telling another soldier about a dream that he had, that Israel was going to overcome them and they would be chased out of the land. It's only then, it's only then that Gideon gets it. How many signs does he need to God's faithfulness? Over and over, I'm sure God wanted to throw that sign out and say, here's your sign. Ever been there? Ever been there? See, Gideon was called to a mission. He was called to save the people of God from oppression. But I think that Gideon just couldn't work up the nerve to step out in faith. 
So God, in his mercy and in his grace, gave him sign after sign after sign after sign that he would be faithful. In fact, the giving of a sign is God's beauty and confirmation of his faithfulness. Took a lot for Gideon to get it. Sometimes it takes a lot for us to get it. Have you ever seen yourself in Gideon? Have you ever asked God over and over and over again about your call to mission, about your call in your life? What was the main mission of Israel? Main mission of Israel. Come on. What was that, Greg? Let's see if you're... you're uh, glorify God and make God known. Good. Hey, you, uh, that money you're, playing for, you're paying for seminary is working. Yeah. Okay. It was to glorify God and to make God known to who? To all, all, all people. What is our mission? The same thing. To glorify God and to make him known. It's the same. It's the same mission. People of God, we know his will for us. We are to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus to the oppressed people of the world so that they can be set free. That's our mission. We have no doubt about it. It's the same as it was for Israel. We need to be the light of the world to make God known and to know God. That, that's our mission. That's set in stone. And to set people free. Sometimes, like Gideon, we spend our time asking silly questions. Like, what's our mission? Are you sure you're calling me? How am I supposed to do this? God, if you're really here, what does this mean for me? We are asking for signs over and over again instead of being faithful and doing the work that God has called us to. You see, Gideon's strength was not in himself, was it? He was weak. He didn't have much faith. He couldn't rely on his own abilities. His strength came from God himself, from God's presence with him. And our strength is not in our own ability either. Our strength for sharing the light of Jesus Christ is in God's ability, in God's faithfulness to walk with us to be with us, and to work within us. Last week, 
Pastor Laura talked a lot, of, uh, talked about God, faithfulness of God. She reminded us of this. He is who he says he is. He will do what he says he will do. That's God's faithfulness. And the next one, he will do what he needs to do to bring us to himself. That's God's faithfulness. He will do what he needs to do to bring us to himself. You see, God's faithfulness is not in question. God's faithfulness is set in stone. The question for us today is our faithfulness, just like Gideon's faithfulness. I know that kind of makes us a little uncomfortable because we want those same kind of signs, don't we, that he gave to Gideon. We want the signs that God is with us, that God is working. We want the signs. Here it goes. People of God, he gave us the signs. It's right there in the cross. It's in his death of Jesus and his resurrection. Our sign is this book. It's written out for us. He gave us the perfect sign of Jesus and he gave us his living, working word. That's our sign. You got questions? Are you in here? Are you reading his word? Are you picking it up? Are you absorbing his faithfulness? The question is not about God's faithfulness to this world. He will do what he needs to do to bring the world to himself. The question is not about, is God faithful? Yes, he's faithful. He is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. The question is, are you going to be faithful to him? You know, a lot of times... There comes a point in our lives where time is really, really rough. And sometimes we get the questions of, why is God doing this to me? Maybe that question needs to change to, what am I doing to God? Because I think a lot of times when we go through those rough periods, we become very internally focused. When God says, I want you to be externally focused. I want you, I need you to understand my faithfulness and in return be faithful to me. I know that there's been times in my life when I've gone through some discipline and God has said to me, Kathy, I'm going to give you short-term struggling for a long-term advantage of building you in righteousness and confirming your eternal life. 
God does those things in our lives for a purpose, for bringing us back to himself, for making sure that we are his children, bringing us back to a closer relationship with God. I can't tell you how many people we talk to as pastors that say to us, in the midst of suffering, that's when I'm the closest to God. Oh, people of God, that's not what God wants. God wants your closeness without the short-term suffering. Ephesians 5.8 clearly give us our call to life. It says this. It says, live as children of the light, for light pushes back darkness. Live as children of light, for light pushes back the darkness. We know the call. Know him and make him known. That's our call. That's how we live as children of light. So there's no question about that, and there's no question about God's faithfulness. The question is, are we going to be faithful to making him known? And when we spend our time asking for those signs, asking uh, for those miracles, there are people out there waiting, living, and dying in darkness. That's what God has called us to. God always enables everything he asks of us, not in our own power, but in his power and his strength and his grace and his mercy. All we have to do is call upon that to be used by him. God is not looking for the best, the most accomplished. God's not looking for the biggest church. God's not looking for the best person. I mean, look, he called Pastor Bob to ministry. That is our sign. God is looking for men and women to be used, who are open to be used and to be filled and to love and listen and be in relationship with him. God is faithful. He will enable anything that he asks you to do. People, God has sent us. He's been faithful to us. He's been faithful to our call. He sent us the sign of faithfulness in the cross of Jesus Christ and in his holy and living word. God said to Gideon, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. He says the same to us. He says, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. 
The question is, will we be faithful to the call? Will we live as light in this darkened world? That's it for us. That's what God is asking us today. We know he's faithful. Will we be faithful?